We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. do have a, a super chat, I think a couple super chats and a couple questions. So we'll get to those before we get out of here. And these first super chats from Jason Warnock Fickle. Luke Fickle was my personal preference, but I think Marcus Freeman was a good choice because I wasn't a fan of others available. The optics of Reese was my biggest problem and he appears overrated. I'm not going to try to convince anyone of the opposite view of that because Right now, Notre Dame is 0-2 and is averaging 12.5 points a game. So he's got to go out there and get the job done. Simple as that. And there was a conversation going on during the chat about uh, how many people they interviewed. I don't know how many people they officially interviewed, but I definitely know for a fact Jack Swarbrick talked to at least at least three other coaches that I know by name. I can only name Fickle as, as the one because that's the only one that I've been given the permission to – say publicly and of course it was already made public but there was definitely at least at least for i know for a fact two other on top of fickle current power you know power five head coaches that got spoken to with by jack freeman to some degree so there were several other people that uh that got interviewed for that for that job we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We also have a question here from Will E. What needs to happen at Notre Dame 
to return to its former glory? This is a very interesting question. I mean, I think it's kind of, it's simple, but it's not like the, the formula is simple, but it's hard to kind of get all the pieces in place. Number one, I think you need to hire a dynamic head coach. Dynamic for me is all encompassing. It's dynamic from a personality standpoint, dynamic from a coaching standpoint, meaning you are able to get the most out of your teams dynamic from a psychological standpoint. A big part of being a head coach is being able to know how to deal with people's psyche, get people's heads right, get people, you know, getting, you know, 85 players and 10 other coaches and, you know, hundred support staff people all going in the same direction uh, requires some mastery that takes time. Lou Holtz obviously had a lot more time doing that. For example, it requires someone who's a dynamic recruiter. I think that's important at Notre Dame, even more so than other places. I think it requires a lot of support from the administration, which for the most part we're getting uh, at Notre Dame. I can't really complain a ton about that. There's some things certainly Notre Dame can and should do better, but they've been doing a lot better in those instances. And in, in most of, of the cases over the last, especially the last four or five years, for sure. You know, and then I think it's just about putting the, the head coach, put, surrounding himself by really good people. I think if you look at Lou Holtz's tenure, you look at his first four years at Notre Dame, uh, first five years at Notre Dame, five, six years at Notre Dame, and then his last five years at Notre Dame, the coaching staffs he was he had were significantly better early on, especially from a coordinator standpoint. There's some good assistants on his later years. He had Charlie Strong and Urban Meyer, but as from a coordinator and then just top down, he just wasn't surrounded by as many good people, and he wasn't getting support from the school, which is you can tell from the results. Those two things were true, and you could tell them by the results. So. I think all those things are part of it. It's about getting great players and having a great staff and, and, a, and a head coach who's dynamic. I think that's really what it comes down to, in my opinion. Let's go to Jeff Brown. The learning curve is much steeper than I thought it would be. In retrospect, it might be too much of a learning curve to be the head coach of a place like Notre Dame. We'll see. Uh, honestly, you know, it's, what's kind of interesting is, you know, look, there's a learning curve. There's always going to be a learning curve. Learning curve doesn't ex- justify a loss to Marshall. You know, that's something that's got to get corrected. The problem is, is that the biggest problem that Notre Dame has right now from a, you know, I'm trying to think of like, there's a toxicity around the program and 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 it's around all programs and they, when they struggle. And that's kind of my, my frustration for fan with, with fans is we can be upset with what we've seen. We should be. Notre Dame fans should not be okay with losing to Marshall and no circumstance. I'm the biggest Marcus Freeman supporter out there, still am. But that doesn't mean that you say, ah, it's okay if you lost to Marshall. It's not okay. But there's not okay with it, and then there's jumping off the deep end and creating a toxic environment. And the reality is fans don't realize the the power that they have for the program that they support. They don't realize the benefits that they can have if they are doing things the right way. And they they don't sometimes even understand – the negativity they can have on a program, the toxicity that they can create because it's what players see. It's what recruits see, especially now in this era of social media. It's especially true. So when you have, uh, I've, I've seen hundreds of fans, oh, fire them and fire this guy and fire that guy. This stuff doesn't help. And, and, it, and there's a way to be critical without kind of jumping off the deep end like some people have. Every Notre Dame fan, in my opinion, should be critical of what we saw on Saturday. Everyone. 
but there's a way to be critical in a way that shows, hey, we still got your back. Let's see what you do. Now, there comes a point in time where it's like, okay, we've seen enough, but it's not game two. It's not going to be game three of a coach's beginning tenure. And I just, you know, and it's the same attitude I had when Brian Kelly started four and five. He needed way more time. And, and eventually you got to the point years later, you're like, okay, this is who he is. And a change needed to be made, but we can be critical but also not turn it into what we have seen the last several days. And I get it on Saturday and Sunday. People are upset. But I, I feel like that's that's one of my frustrations with, with fans, to be completely honest with you. So uh, I think we need to make sure that we're doing um, that we're doing our part as well, in my opinion. All right. So let's get down to some more questions. Adam Shipley, how much do we see Angeli? You know, honestly, um, when I look at when I look at this, I hope that we see Steve Angeli Saturday because if we see Angeli Saturday, then it means Notre Dame. Well, let me rephrase that. I hope we see Angeli late in the game Saturday because that hopefully in, in a circumstance where Notre Dame has a big lead, it would be really bad for Notre Dame and, and for Steve Angeli to throw him into a situation where his first real snaps are if Drew Pine gets hurt or isn't effective. That would be terrible. And if you're a Steve Angeli supporter, you better hope that Drew Pine comes out and lights the world on fire on Saturday and that Notre Dame gets a big lead and he can go out and get some snaps this week. And then if his time comes down the road, he's got a chance to come in and get some real playing time and not just be thrown into the fire. That would be uh, that would be really bad because – you know, one of the things that people talk about with Tommy Reese is, is a, as a player, well, they don't talk about it as much as they should, but they have that it was talked about in the past was, you know, hey, this kid came off the bench and and rallied Notre Dame to to four straight wins as a true freshman. But sometimes what we forget is that was not the first time that we saw Tommy Reese getting significant action in 2010, and and that actually came earlier in the season against Michigan when Dane Chris got hurt and they brought in Nate Montana and Nate Montana didn't play very well. And they had to bring in Tommy Reese after that. And, and I'm trying to remember how much Tommy Reese actually played like, but I know he played against Michigan that game and I'm going to pull up the box score now from 2010. But I remember Tommy came into that game and played in that game. And then of course, Dane Chris came back and got hurt again later, and Tommy Reese was able to kind of step into the spotlight. But yeah, Tommy Tommy came in, threw two passes, got intercepted. That was his first action. And and then, of course, uh, you know, you kind of saw what, what happened next. Uh, he came in later in the year and obviously performed a lot better, but he had gotten some opportunities that season to come in off the bench. He came, he came in against Michigan, didn't play well. Comes in later against Navy after they were getting blown out, goes six of seven for 79 yards. Then, of course, he comes against Tulsa, and throws three interceptions. So, yes, Tommy Reese led them to a 4-0 record, but he played in three losses earlier in the year, uh, and those those sort of those struggles coming off the bench helped get him ready to then go lead the team to four wins. And so I would love to see Steve Angeli get a chance to actually play before he's thrust into a situation where he has to kind of go be the guy without ever having played really any real snaps. So that that would be um, that would be a concern for me. There's no doubt about it. All right, let's get to some more questions here. Connor Nepper says, "What are the top three things we need to see on Saturday?" So, Connor, this is a really good question, and, and 
two of them, one of them I'm not going to talk about a ton because it's what our show is going to be about tomorrow. But I would encourage if you haven't already done so, listen to our show today because I think one of the things that I think need to happen and kind of go hand in hand on offense, we discussed today. There's a lot of things on offense that need to happen. But if I were to kind of narrow it down into one and it's sort of I can't even just do one. It's two things that go into one. Offensively, it's you need personnel and attitude changes. I think the the offense as a whole needs to play with more urgency, a little bit more fire, a little bit more pep in their step. I think it's important. And I also think there are players that are not playing right now that need to play or guys that aren't necessarily in leading roles that need to be in more leading roles from a touches standpoint. And so that is kind of where I would be uh, when it comes to the changes need to be made, made on that side of the ball. Defensively, we'll talk about this a lot more tomorrow, but they need to scale back the defense. That's a big thing defensively that needs to happen right now. And then the third thing is, is from a, a, a leadership standpoint, from the player level, they need to step up and and say, hey, look, we're, we're not going to stand for this. And for me, when I look at this Notre Dame football team and I look at past Notre Dame football teams that were able to kind of overcome some coaching issues in the past, a lot of what they did was – you had leadership that said, uh-uh, this isn't a problem, or this is a problem, and this isn't acceptable. This is not going to happen under our leadership. And they went out and did what they needed to do to fix it, and and in spite of the coaches at times. And so I think that's something that I look at and say that needs to be that needs to be part of this too. The players need to stop, and I'm not saying they're doing this. I'm saying if they're doing this, they need to stop kind of looking around for other things and look inside and say, hey, we have control of this. And I don't care what the coaches call. I don't care this. We're, we're Notre Dame. That's Marshall. We're Notre Dame. That's Cal. We got to go out and do what we need to do. And that's something that comes from leadership, from a player standpoint. And so there's things the coaches need to do, which I talked about first and second. And then third is the players got to step up and say, yeah, let's do it. Because it's never just coaches. It's never just players. It's never either one of those. And it's always both. I think it can vary to, to degrees who's responsible for certain things that don't go correct. But it's never it's never just one or the other. It's always both to some degree, and that needs to get needs to get corrected, in my opinion. We are not Marshall says Sean and Vince. Which which unit makes the most impact this weekend? Defense or punt kickoff return units? Obviously, uh, Sean and Vince are not going to be able to answer that because that was a recorded aspect of the show. But I'll answer it, and it better be the defense because I think the defense this week has an opportunity to put the offense in some really favorable situations. The offense, defense has done a really good job of, of making stops to keep the other team off the board, but they haven't done a good job of making stops in ways that are giving the offense a ton of good field position at times. you know. So no turnovers. Notre Dame is still yet to force a turnover. Give your offense a spark is something you can do. Now, shouldn't ask that defense shouldn't have to do that, but the reality is, is that's where we are. They have to, they have to do that. So and until they do, then, you know, that's just going to be be the reality of the situation. Here's an interesting, fun question from Sean Paulus. Sean, I, I like this one. He says, what is your perfect combo for play-by-play and analyst for a Notre Dame game? For me, if I was NBC or was up to me, or better yet, here's one. If, if Notre Dame ends up going with Fox, and one of the deals is Notre Dame gets to pick its own home game crew. So this is the crew that does all the Notre Dame home games. I wish they'd do all the games, but Notre Dame home games. It would be Gus Johnson is the play-by-play and Brady Quinn is the color guy. It would have to be at Fox. You're not bringing them over to NBC. 
So if Notre Dame were to get a new TV deal, I'd say go to Fox and part of your deal negotiate having Gus Johnson and Brady Quinn doing all your your home games. I think that'd be – and some people are going to love that because they love Gus Johnson. Other people don't like Gus. I don't know why, but I love listening to the games that Gus Johnson does. And I think him and Joel Klatt do a really nice job. But, again, I, I'm okay having a Notre Dame guy in the booth because the thing about Brady Quinn is Brady Quinn is definitely going to have a pro Notre Dame slant. But Brady Quinn doesn't strike me as someone who's going to take some of these absurd homer stances that we see from other places. I think Brady is someone who's going to be reluctant, being really harshly critical of his alma mater, but he's also not afraid to point out issues from a football standpoint, right? So it's like he'll point out, hey, the offense is struggling, and here's why, without saying like Tommy Reese thinks and he needs to be fired and all this other kind of stuff. Uh, so I think he'll he'll bring some passion for Notre Dame to the table, but also keep it about football and keep it football-related, and I think he's – it's gotten much, much better at doing that over the years. And so I think he could do a he would do a really good job there. And then of course you'd have Gus who would bring a, a ton of a ton of energy to the table as the play-by-play guy. I would absolutely, absolutely, absolutely love that. So that'd be that'd be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. All right, let's get to some more questions. Irish Shy Town. Brian, who are your Super Bowl picks after week one? And then I responded by saying, I don't really follow the NFL, so I couldn't really tell you. <laughs> To which somebody else responded, I just I had to bring this up because this was such a great response. Uh, Jean Bay said, uh, uh, "Just try and one up Desmond Howard's playoff picks. Worst case scenario, it generates clicks." So I will say this: I, I do think that I could probably make a you know Super Bowl prediction that's going to have a better shot at. Well, and I'll say this: I'll, I'll go AFC and NFC title game representative. So then it's kind of like you know fourteen playoff. And I think I'd have a better shot at being accurate than than Desmond Howard did with his college football playoff picks, which were just blatantly blatantly absurd. So I'm going to go with for the uh, for the AFC playoff. I'm going to go with it's going to be easy to me. It's going to be the Chiefs and the Bills are going to play in the AFC championship. And I think this year the Bills get it done and beat Pat Mahomes. They've played in some great great games. That's my pick for this year. I think the Bengals are going to be in contention, but I but I just think the Bengals kind of just had it a year where everything kind of went right last year. But I'm going to go with I'm going to go with the the Bills in the AFC beating the Kansas City Chiefs. For the NFC, that's a that's a really good one. I'm going to go Tampa Bay and the Rams. I know the Rams lost their opener in pretty pretty bad fashion, but it was to the Bills. But I'm going to go with the Rams and Buccaneers play, and I just have a hard time betting against Tom Brady. Just you know, someone have to go there, and I and I think they made some good changes. Plus, I would love to see Robert Hainsey as a starter for the the Bucks get to the Super Bowl as a starter, not just as a backup this time. So that would be a that'd be a lot of fun. All right, here's down here from Cole Barker, Coach. Do you think you might have over evaluated or trusted the evaluations too much on some of these guys, Cole? I'm not sure who you're, what you're referring to. Uh, I have no problem answering the question, but I'm not, I'm not sure what you're referring to. Uh, over evaluated or trusted the evaluations too much on some of these guys? If you could just kind of, as I answer some other questions, Cole, just let me know what specifically you're referring to, and then I'll gladly answer your question. I got another one from Sam Tyrell. He said, Brian, would BK be 0-2 if he were coach? So first of all, it'd be easy for me to say yes. Uh, to take a shot at Brian Kelly, it'd be easy for me to then, or to go different, say no, because Brian Kelly was successful and he hasn't been 0-2 since 2011. 
but I can't remember if it was Vince, Sean, or Ryan. I can't remember which one of them said it to me, but they said the reality is this team actually isn't playing much worse than it played last year. I would somewhat disagree with that specifically because I do think the offense at least played well at times last year. Uh, in the first two games, I mean, they had their moments. You know, they did score 32 points against Toledo. They did score 41 against Florida State. But the the counter argument is, well, it's not tit for tat that, as bad as they were last year, but it's they were – better on offense in the first two games than they were on defense. The defense really struggled in the first two games. Defense gave up over 30 points in the first two games. So that's a good point. But the reality is, is that the difference in the last two years is the quality of the opponents. And that's a very fair point. And, you know, what that means is basically if Notre Dame would have played Ohio State last in the opener and played the same way they did against Florida State, they're 0-1 and probably get blown out. If Notre Dame played Marshall last year in the in the second a team like Marshall in the second game as opposed to Toledo, it's a good chance they lose that game too. You know, because Toledo was wasn't I mean, Toledo wasn't very good last year. They lost to Colorado State, who was terrible the next week. You know, their wins were over Ball State, UMass, Norfolk State, Western Michigan was a good win. Bowling Green stunk, Ohio stunk, and Akron stunk. They really didn't beat anybody worth a darn last year except for Western Michigan, which was a really good win. So, uh, you know, I mean, you lost by 16 to Colorado State a week at, week after you lost to Notre Dame. Notre Dame's margin of victory over Toledo was the same as Eastern Michigan's was. And f- less than what Tennessee State, Middle Tennessee's margin of victory was. So, I mean, but, but that's, that's, that's still projection. I don't know what the team would be right now if Brian Kelly was the head coach. I have no idea. All I know is, is they didn't, they didn't play that well last year. I expected Marcus Freeman to fix those things. I didn't I didn't support Marcus Freeman being the coach so he could keep doing what Brian Kelly did, even if what Brian Kelly would have done was that. It's supposed to be better. Now, I'm not jumping off the train because they started 0-2. It's not acceptable. There's nobody at Irish Breakdown that I'm aware of. Perhaps I haven't heard somebody say something or I missed something. But there's nobody at Irish Breakdown saying what we've seen the first two weeks is acceptable. Nobody. I've had people leave my site because they said I was too critical of Marcus Freeman and of the program after the first couple of games. That's fine. But there's a difference between being critical and jumping off a cliff the way that some people have jumped off the cliff. That's what we're not going to do. And and to create that kind of to- toxic type of situation. And so I think you should be able to do both. You should be able to point out criticism without just going insane with it about firing this person, that person, the other. It's just not helpful doesn't do anything and you know it just it's not just doesn't it doesn't do anything and it, it's not professional it just becomes like this just be like a fan site like just a couple dudes that have a fan page and they just rant and rave and say insane things we're not gonna do that we vented now we're gonna try to offer solutions and if those solutions get addressed this team will start winning again if they don't they won't start winning and we'll have a whole different conversation at that point in time so this isn't one of those support no matter what blind faith things, but it is a there's a it's a it's a case to be critical, but also saying you know but I still believe that this was the right hire, and let's give an opportunity to go show it. I, I do think there is merit to that, and that wears out in time. It's just not wearing out after two games of his first season. That's that's where I'm coming from at this point. In time. Got another one down here. This is a this is a good one. From Joe H. Brian, do you have a new projected win-loss record after the Marshall loss? I don't. Joe, at this point in time, I don't have a clue what this team is. I don't. I, I, 
I, I break down these two games and and I see so many opportunities for this team to be two and zero, not just one and one, but two and zero. But I can't I can't point a finger to why these things aren't being fixed. And so I can tell you what needs to be fixed, but I don't have a lot of confidence right now in what will be fixed just because this is still so new. It's like we said last week. You know, Al Golden did a great job in the opener against Ohio State. But what we don't know is can he put a game plan together in a week? I think to a degree he did okay, but I think they just out-talented Marshall And when they talks about like stopping Marshall. I don't think Notre Dame necessarily did anything schematically to stop Marshall the way that they did Ohio State. I think their players were just way better than Marshall's players, and they were able to make stops because Marshall had some misses as well. And so I don't think he put a good game plan together in week two. I think there are things that need to get corrected and fixed. And so the point being – there's still so much we don't know about this team. We don't, I don't know how they're going to respond. You know, you do your offseason projection and then you say, okay, now let's see. Let's see. Cause what do we always say? We said all summer, this is what I think. This is my projection, but now they got to go show it. Well, so far they haven't shown it or they've shown something, but it's not what we thought they could be at this point in time, Joe, I need to see him win a game first. Let me see how they handle these next two games going into the bye. And I think that's going to give us a much better sense of where this team is kind of going into the last eight games, which is going to say, hey, is this a team that can run the table and go 10-2? Is this a team that's that's going to do well? They're going to beat teams they're supposed to again, but they're not going to beat Clemson and USC. Uh, is it a team that's going to keep losing games they shouldn't, and they're talking about 6-6? Six and six? There's still so much that I don't know, but right now all I know is this is an 0-2 football team that is not going to beat a lot of teams in their schedule if they play like they did against Marshall. I also don't anticipate them playing like they did against Marshall. That rarely happens. Teams go up or down one way or the other. So for me, I just can't go there yet. Uh, it's it's We'll have to see. We'll have to see. All right, we got one from Cole. Cole Barker says, if I had to narrow it down, the O-line, Zeke, Lug, and Fisher look bad on film. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. They do look bad on film. As far as to your earlier question, the misvaluation, I, I don't think it's a misvaluation because the the impressions that we had on them were based on things we've seen. So you say, oh, did you misevaluate? Well, misevaluate based on what? I mean, did you did you watch Blake Fisher in a game and a half last year? He's a pretty good player. What we've seen from Blake Fisher as a sophomore is not as good as what he showed as a freshman. It'd be one thing, Cole, so like, if we were talking about a guy that had never played before or a guy that had never played a meaningful snap and say, hey, I'm basing this off of, okay, so here's a perfect one. So in today's show on offense, I'm saying, hey, Tobias Merriweather needs to play. He needs to do this. He needs to do that. That's me basing that off what I believe his talent level is. It's an evaluation that I'm making based on things not related to what he's done on the football field at Notre Dame. And this is, and so it is a projection. And if he goes out and plays and he's not very good and can't get separation and can't catch the ball, then that's a bad evaluation. What we're what we're talking about with like Zeke and Lug and Fisher is can you get to the being to the point where you are able to play to your best all the time? Josh Lug was significantly worse the first two games this year than he was the first two games last year. Is that due to him just not getting any better? Is he not comfortable at guard, which would surprise me? What's the reason? I don't know what the reason is, but I didn't misevaluate Josh Lug because he's worse than he was. Uh, same thing with Zeke Carell. Zeke Carell was a projection, but it was where do you go? Do you look at the guy that was a center in the spring game and did really well? 
a guy that was a center in 2020 and had some good moments, especially in North Carolina, or do you evaluate the guard who last year was not very good? So it was a projection. I don't say a bad evaluation. I think Zeke has ability. He's just not playing the game the right way. And that's really what it comes down to for me too, Cole, is if a guy plays the game the way he's supposed to play and he's just not good, then you can say, hey, bad evaluation. That guy's not a good player. And there are guys like that. But when you watch a guy play and you say, "It's I still can't determine if this guy's any good or not because I'm watching him and he's stopping his feet. He's not using his hands. They're blowing assignments. That's not so much a talent thing as an execution thing, and that's why I think Marcus Freeman keeps using that. So I I don't know if it if I would say that I missed the valuation yet. The, if it continues to happen, then sure, absolutely. I think where where I was wrong was thinking that this could get fixed quickly. That's where obviously the the misevaluation was is thinking that this would all could all come together enough to win games early. And honestly, but it should have. There, there's no excuse to lose to Marshall. None. I don't care how many guys are playing new positions. I don't care how young you are. None of those things should matter, honestly. They haven't gotten the job done. Simple as that. And you can call it misevaluations or whatever you want to be. The fact is it's not good enough, and it needs to get better. There's no doubt about it. All right, here we go. Uh, see if we got any more questions over here. So let's see here. Uh, Sam Tyrell, Brian, what facet of Freeman's in-game coaching would you like to see improved during the Cal game? Sam, if you listen to this show, you know that that's something that I think it's way overplayed. I do not think a head coach's primary job is what he does on Saturday. What would you want Marcus Freeman to have done differently against Cal? You want him to yell at players more? Do you want him to punch somebody on the sideline and being hyperbolic? What? What do you want them to do? What was the call, right? I loved every fourth down play call they had. You're trusting your offensive line with all your highly ranked players and your big backs and your you know, legendary line coach to be able to just run the ball on third and two and fourth and one against Marshall. Should he not have done that? He absolutely should have done that. And so to me, the issues are not so much what's happening on, on Saturday from a head coaching standpoint. It's clearly whatever they're doing is not getting these players ready for Saturday. And that happens from Monday to Friday. I think that's where the disconnect is for me. The game plan gets put together on Monday to Friday, Sunday to Friday, really. The practice preparation, the the checks, the audibles, all the, the rotations, all those different things are determined before the game starts. If those things are broken by the time the game starts, you're going to be in trouble no matter what you do in game. So I just don't know if I can look at that and say Freeman should have done this differently. I also think that he is allowing his coaches to coach. As a former coach, I have always believed in that. If you hired me to do a job, let me do the job. And then if I'm not getting the job done, then step in. What I don't want to have happen is Freeman kind of just always being on the headset telling people what to do or not to do like he's Lou Holtz, who had been a head coach for a long time before all that happened. So I think for me, that's that's where I look at it, uh, Sam, and say, what what facets of his in-game coaching would I like to see improved? I don't really have a lot of in-game stuff that needs to be improved. What needs to be improved is the Monday to Friday stuff. That's where the changes need to happen because whatever's happening Monday to Friday is not getting this team emotionally ready to play against Marshall. Did not. I think they were emotionally ready to play against Ohio State. They just didn't execute. They were not emotionally ready to play against Marshall. That's somewhat understood to a degree. But that's also got to be about the players. Like, mostly ready to play, it should not be about the coaches. That should be about the players. But there is a role the coaches play. 
It's just that no matter what the coaches do, if you have good leadership, they're going to be ready to play. The problem on Saturday was some of the biggest issues Notre Dame had was from their veterans and from their leaders. And that's a problem. So there's an accountability thing lacking that needs to get corrected from top down, from Marcus Freeman on down. And I think those things need to get fixed more. And those are not really, those are not really Sam Saturday things. Saturday is a byproduct of what happens Monday to Friday. And and I've always believed that. So Cole says, I'm not blaming you at all. I know expectations were high with these guys. I guess it's more a question for the coach. Cole, I didn't take it that way. I didn't take it that way at all. It's blaming. I was just trying to under I was trying to put into context that I just don't know if what we've seen can be viewed as a misevaluation of talent, is all. Uh so I didn't take it that way at all. I thought it was a very fair question. And look, the reality is. When you do what we do, you make predictions. You say, hey, this guy's good, or we think this guy's going to be good, or this coach is good, and this is what I think the record is going to be, and that's what – then if we're not correct on those things, then just like we're going to hold the coaches accountable for saying things that aren't there, you all are allowed to ask, well, hey, what did you see from this team that made you think they'd be a playoff team? Because it was a week ago today that we were on these shows saying, hey, I think Notre Dame's going to run the table. I, I really believe that. Well, clearly they didn't. They couldn't even be Marshall. It's okay to say, hey, man, got that one wrong. What happened? Just like we're going to say things about the coaches. So I'm good with your question. I just didn't understand the first part of it. And the second part of it, I was just trying to put into context. I don't know if I'm ready to say it's a misevaluation yet. It's just more so I need to see more of it. And, and again, it comes down to, like, when you see a guy play and he's not doing anything wrong fundamentally or technically and he's just not making plays, then you can say I was – wrong on that kid's ability and that's where I'm coming from the offensive line I don't think it's I don't think I'm at the place yet where I think it's a talent problem this is where I disagree with some people uh, that I've had conversations with and some things I've heard from others right I don't think what's going on in Notre is a talent problem I think that's really easy to do and I and honestly I think it's I don't want to say lazy because that's disrespectful but I just think it's it's just too easy it's like low-hanging for it's a talent problem Notre Dame did not lose to Marshall because of a talent problem come on now they didn't just there's bigger issues afoot here. Right. And it's just kind of like when you, what was it? 2007 it was 2007 that Michigan lost to Appalachian state when they were a, uh, an FCS team. If I, if I'm remembering correctly, I think it was 2007, you know, they come out and they lose to Appalachian state in the opener, right? This was a, this is a Michigan team. That was preseason number five, preseason number five team, in the country coming off of an 11 and two season, you know, a year where they were a top 10 team, finished the year ranked eighth in the AP poll. They came out that next year and, and lost to Appalachian State in Oregon, right? And so what happened? Well, that team eventually got rolling and, you know, ended up winning the, the Capital One Bowl over Florida that year, over number nine Florida, and finished the year ranked 18th. But, like, something happened. Was it just that the talent wasn't good? Well, the talent looked pretty good two weeks later when they blasted Notre Dame. It looks pretty good when they beat a top 10, you know, Penn State team. It looked pretty good when they beat Florida at the end of the year, but there was clearly a disconnect on why that team, you know, went nine and four with some really, really good players on that football team. And so it's about, it's about, I, I just think it can be easy and, and kind of lazy to just turn everything into a, oh, it's talent. No, it's not always talent. That's easy. It, it, and that takes the blame off the people that should put it there. And, you know, to a degree, it does. There's the other say, well, you know, you're not because you're saying that these people should have brought in better players. I just think it's, it's a little too, 
it's a little too of an easy thing to do to just point to lack of talent. When in reality, I can point to you that talent's not the problem. I can point to you of how they're playing is the problem. The talent isn't being maximized is the problem. And a perfect example is, and I've used this a million times, 2018 LSU and 2019 LSU, same players, same players. They didn't bring in an influx of transfers in 2019. Joe Burrow was already on that on that LSU team in 2018 and was the starting quarterback in 2018. Jamar Chase was on that 2018 LSU team. Clyde Edwards-Alaire was on that 2018 LSU team. Uh, Jamar Jefferson, or excuse me, Justin Jefferson was on that 2018 LSU team. Uh, Terrence, Terrence Marshall was on that 2018 LSU team. And, and so, and in some ways, I mean, they had guys, Devin White was on that team, right? He's a pretty good player. Well, he wasn't on the 2019 team. So they lost some really good players off that 2018 team, right? And that team, you know, was a very mediocre team, in my opinion. You know, that team went 10 and 3. They gave up, lost to Texas A&M, got beat 29-0 Alabama, lost to Florida. They had ugly win over, over Auburn. I mean, what was their big win that year, right? And this is what I pointed to. You know, their their big win that year was what? Miami? They beat, you know, Georgia? I mean, you know, like, I'm just, you try to look at it and say, you know, that that they weren't a great team that year. And then they go out the next year and they have one of the greatest teams ever. Why? Did the talent all of a sudden become better? Or did they do a better job the next year of putting the talent in position to be successful and with the changes that were made? And so that's why I say is you got to look past just the the easy explanations of, oh, they don't have players. I've heard people say, oh, they don't have speed. Lorenzo Styles and Braden Lindsay and Chris Terry all of a sudden didn't get slow. Cam Hart didn't just all of a sudden become slow a slow guy. It, there's more to it than this that requires critical analysis, and I think that's why a lot of you tune in here because we're not going to give you the easy, low-hanging fruit of, oh, they don't have enough talent. To beat Marshall? To beat Marshall? They don't have enough talent to beat Marshall? Yeah, they do. A team that led Ohio State for 33 minutes and was tied for like another four or five minutes doesn't have the talent to beat Marshall? Of course they do. So what is the problem then? And that's what we're trying to identify. And then what needs to be done about it? And that's where we are right now. At least that's where I am right now. Uh, Sam also asked a good question. Sam, this is a really good one. Uh, how much does Buckner's missing the rest of the season hurt his development? Very frustrating because I think he's good, but still have questions if he's the guy next year. I mean, Sam, I think, in my opinion, that I am very concerned about the future for Tyler Buckner now. And it has really nothing to do with what I saw the first two games. There were things he needs to flat out get better on. He missed some big-time opportunities, but he also showed me some ability. And it's also, again, two games in his tenure. But you're now talking about a kid that's now suffered a second devastating season-ending injury early in the season in four years or five years. And he's now going to miss a third season in five years. Now, one of them was not his fault. The 2020 season was not his fault. It was a COVID-related thing. It's not his fault. But you're now getting into a situation where can you really count on him to be that guy that you build your program around when he has just not proven that he can stay healthy? You did this offseason this fine because he had the one injury. Well, now circumstances have changed, and he's now had a second injury. And it was on a, I think, kind of a normal football play. You know, I don't love how he was driven into the ground, but that's going to happen in football. And then you say, well, okay, then just don't run him. Well, now you're taking away one of the things that makes him a good player. So I think it's really devastating to his development. 
And it makes me wonder, like, is this a situation? Can he can he get to the his his talent level? I don't know if he can. And I still believe he's very talented, but you can only get there if you play. And and he's just not going to have a chance to play. And that's concerning to me. So, you know, that's that's where I'm at. It, it's a, it's certainly concerned. Got this last question here from uh, we're going to get this last one and then we're going to we're going to run here. And this is from Kevin O'Neill. Uh, Kevin says, uh, thank you for the super chat, by the way, Kevin. He says, how quickly do you think Reese would be to give Angelia series should Pine look bad? We talked about this in the morning show today. It better not be quick. He better not have a quick trigger on on Drew Pine because if you if Steve Angeli's not the answer, you have nowhere else to go. You will have crushed Drew Pine's psyche if you bench him quickly. It, they need to tell Drew, Drew, this is your team now. This is your team now, and and go with them. And you got to give them some time to get going. You're going to tell me you're going to tell take a kid to come off the bench and start a, a first game against a pretty good defensive team, and say, okay, you got a half to figure it out. That'd be terrible. If that were to happen, I'd say the coaching is the problem, not the player. Drew needs to be given a chance. One game, two game, three games, or whatever, give him a chance. The only way you make a change is if for some reason he's coming off the sideline, he's dropping his head, he has no confidence, and he's basically lost the will to compete. If you see that, then the leash needs to be pretty short. But I don't think anyone thinks that's going to be a problem with Drew Pine. I really don't. I don't think compete level is going to be the problem. Execution, he needs to do better. Reading a defense, making accurate throws, all that, he's got to do better. But I think he's going to battle, and I just don't think you can get in a situation where you give him a short hook. Uh, can't happen. And I've been asked this a lot today, and this is what we said a week ago. Everybody's wondering, when are you going to put Drew Pine in? Now that Drew's a starter, it's when are you going to put a Steve Angeli in? That's the life of being a starting quarterback anywhere, especially Notre Dame. Uh, the focus of quarterback right now is on Drew Pine. It should be on Drew Pine. And this is where I think fans need to say, I mean, you can talk about whatever you want. But can we stop calling for the next quarterback, please? Can we give Drew Pine, like, I don't know, three games as a starter in his Notre Dame career to see if he's any good or not, as opposed to just writing him off now? Uh, I know it's not going to happen. I get it. It's what fans do. I understand that. But Steve Angeli should not be the question. And we're not going to really address any Steve Angeli questions moving forward. And that's not a knock on Steve Angeli, but it's just Drew's the starter. And let's see how he actually plays first as a starter before we start talking about his replacement. I mean, literally, Drew Pine has never started a game at Notre Dame, and we're already talking about benching him. Think about that. Think about that. We're already started talking about benching the starting quarterback, or what would the circumstances be to start to, to bench the starting quarterback if he doesn't play well and he's never even started a game yet? That just doesn't make a lot of sense. That just doesn't make a lot of sense. So uh, that's where I hope that we can kind of get past that. Look, Drew Pine's a starter. The players need to rally around him and fans need to rally around him. Then let's see how he plays, and then we can evaluate it to that point in time. All right, so that's going to do it for today's show, everybody. A great, great job by Sean and Vince. We'll be back tomorrow. Ryan and I will be back tomorrow uh, for our at 1 p.m. tomorrow for our uh, normal 1 o'clock show. We're going to talk about the Notre Dame defense tomorrow, things we need to see them do to get better and, and be more effective uh, to make themselves better, uh, to be able to put games away, and then also hopefully to help the offense as well. So we're going to talk about that tomorrow. Thursday, we're going to get back to our Cal evaluations. We'll do predictions and even more analysis of the Notre Dame Cal game on Friday. Tomorrow night, Tuesday or tomorrow night, Wednesday night, we will have, obviously, Sean will be back for IB Nation Sports Talk tomorrow and for Thursday. 
And on Saturday, 10 a.m. from 10 to noon, Vince and Sean will have the IB countdown to kick off. So we'll preview the Notre Dame Cal game and then, of course, the big games of the weekend. So thanks for joining us today, everybody. And we will talk to you again soon. Make sure you hit that like button. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast. Give us a five-star review if you're listening via our, via our podcast platform. We'd appreciate that. Tomorrow morning, we'll have the CFB All-America podcast on the CFB Nation podcast channel. Please subscribe to that as well. We would appreciate that. Uh, they'll have a show tomorrow, kind of looking back at week two results in the morning. And then that afternoon around noon, we'll publish their second episode, which will be a preview of the big week three game. So check that out as well. So again, thanks everybody. Have a great day. Talk to you again soon on the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.